wake up, wake up, From Jerusalem, Israel, this is From the Midwest to the Middle East, the podcast that explores everything new in U.S. and Israeli economy. Here's your host, Philip Stein. I'm really pleased to be having this podcast today. First of all, this episode is brought to you by Philip Stein and Associates, the largest U.S. CPA firm in Israel, providing U.S. tax services to Israelis, Americans, corporations, startups, and anyone else needing them. Hi, I'm very pleased today to have a special guest in an area that who is part of the work world, either as an employee, an employer, uh, or dealing with workers. Uh, I think they'll find this podcast very relevant. Today we're going to be speaking with Shira Lahat, who is a partner at Yigal Arnon, uh, who is expert in employment and uh, labor law. Uh, Shira supports clients in day-to-day issues such as new employee recruitment, disputes with employees and retirement packages, HR policies, sexual harassment, equal opportunity in the workplace, and workplace safety issues. Shira received her LLB from the IDC in Herzliya and received an LLM from Tel Aviv University in 2005 and she also has an MBA from the Technion. She joined Yigal Arnon in 2007 and became a partner in 2013. Welcome, Shira. Hi, great to be here. Thank you for taking out of your busy schedule to share your knowledge with our listeners. So let me get right to it. Once upon a time, people spent their whole career at one employer. Um, Those days are long gone. What is the most important thing an employer needs to be aware of in these times when employees tend to work for employees for short periods of time? Well, I think there are two levels in which uh, employers should be prepared to the situation and leave them after a short time. The first one is in the employment agreement. It's very important to set the notice period um, that we expect the employee to give us before he resigns. This is the time that we have um, to, to search for a replacer and to transfer the relevant knowledge and information. Um, and it's important to make sure that we have enough time for this and not only the time that is set by the law. The notice period that is set by the law is sometimes very short. It can be a couple of days only. And in many cases, it's not enough to, to look for a replacer to m- make sure that we have a smooth transfer. Mm-hmm. The second issue is in the employment agreement to set out the payments that the employee will be entitled to upon the termination of employment. Many of these payments are already regulated by the law, but not all of them. And also, certain payments are depending on the fact that the employee will be terminated and not resigns, and this is a very difficult and um, dangerous situation because if the employee wants to leave, we don't want him to make everything he can in order to uh, force us to terminate his employment so he will get certain benefits. So it's better to leave uh, to make sure that the employee will resign in good terms and will assist us with the transfer of the information and his knowledge. Another important note, just if I can, is that employers should always make sure that they are not dependent on one specific employee. If we have one employee who holds all the knowledge or is the only contact for the clients or for the uh, suppliers, 
it's very problematic and we are exposed to being extorted by this employee. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said in the introduction, what, what about the other side? If someone was to come to you uh, about accepting a job, a new position, what, what should an employee know or a prospective employee need to know uh, when they're starting a new position? Um, I think that when they leave the current employer, they should also remember that the industry they work in is usually small and there's a good chance that they will re-meet the employer or a former colleague in the future or they might need a reference. So it's always better to separate amicably in a good spirit without burning bridges. Um, And employees should remember to return all company equipment and documents, not to keep copies with themselves, to make sure that they have deleted all the personal and only personal files they have saved on the employer's server or the computer, um, and to make sure that they don't transfer information or proprietary information. Okay, I think that's very, very wise advice. Let's move to the, the modern workplace. What are the challenges of employing people who work remotely? We all know this is, you know, with the smartphones and laptop computers and internet everywhere in the world. You can have an employee uh, in your office, down the street, in another country. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you see when you start employing people remotely? Uh, well, I think the first one is the issue of monitoring the work hours. Israeli law requires that the employer will keep records of the work hours of all of its employees, including those who work outside the offices. Um, and it is important to make, su- to make sure that such records are actually kept, and not only that, but to only monitor the records to make sure that the employees are not working beyond excessive overtime, work during weekends, and such. Another issue is uh, that uh, employees have remote access to the employer's files and systems, and it makes it much more difficult to secure and protect uh, the employer's files. Um, This can be partially resolved by receiving employees' advanced written notice to monitor the use and access of our systems um, and by limiting access to files on a need-to-know basis. But what is important is to make sure that everything is set in writing in advance, all the rules, and in some cases, it's important to, that the employer will keep to himself the right to cancel his uh, consent to such remote uh, uh, work. Mm-hmm. In our company, if the Internet goes down, people have literally nothing to do. Uh, on the other hand, when the Internet is working, employees could spend a lot of time on non-work activities, say a Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know, personal uh, email. Well, in general, employers have the right to determine what their employees will do during work hours, um, of course, excluding uh, reasonable breaks. Uh, you are allowed to block access to any such uh, social media sites from the company's computers. It will, of course, will not prevent employees from accessing them through their personal mobile phones, um, but you can also limit the use of mobile phones during work hours. Um, I understand that this advice might not always be practical because uh, it might be difficult to uh, recruit new employees if they will know that in this uh, workplace you cannot access uh, uh, you cannot browse the internet or access their Facebook account during work, or if they are not allowed to uh, to use their personal mobile phones. Um, but the employee, the employer should know that he has the right to do so, and he should use it. So, does an employee have rights to privacy when when they use the employer systems? In other words, 
one, do they have these rights of privacy? But second, if they're using their employer's equipment, computers, to do these personal things, like I said, Facebook, Instagram, etc., can the employee assert privacy and say you're not allowed to, to monitor me or, or ask me these things? Well, employees do have such right to privacy, but they should not have such expectations. Um, and I'll explain. The issue of employees' right to privacy in the workplace was discussed in a seminal decision handed out by the National Labor Court um, a couple of years ago. And the Labor Court in this decision set out um, certain guidelines intended to create the employer's propriety rights and employees' right to privacy in the workplace. And the court ruled that insofar as the employer wishes to monitor or access uh, its employee's computer or internet use, the employer is required to set clear uh, policies regarding computer use in the, in the workplace. Um, he is required to inform employees of all IT and technology that he uses in order to monitor such uh, use. And he should always get employees written advanced consent to such monitoring. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, what the employer can do, he can just ban any private use of the systems. And this ban should also be in writing and should be confirmed by the employee in advance. And in such ban, we will notify the employees that we are in practice monitoring and access all the users and data, allowing managers or other employees to access employees' email accounts when he's absent or when he leaves the company, which is very relevant and required, um, although many employers don't feel comfortable to do it. To what? To monitor? To monitor and to, and to, ban, to ban any private mm -hmm. use of the systems in advance because they feel like employees is, um, is investing so many hours in the workplace so there will be nothing wrong if he will check his Facebook account once a day. Um, but on the other hand, when there's a crisis and employers do want to make sure if an employee is not stealing information, is not violating the law, is not harming the company, they cannot do it if the employee has not consent to the monitoring in advance. All right, so that actually leads me right into my next question. How, how can an employer, and maybe you've already answered that, how can an employer protect their intangibles, such as their way of doing business, research, memos? Well, the first way is, is as, as we just said, just to, to monitor the use of the files, to monitor access of the files. So you'll have an, an automatic system that will alert you if, you if the system notices that a certain employee exports large files or access many files that are not relevant for him. Um, this is the first way. The, the other thing is that treat confidential information as confidential. For example, limit access to files and mark, actually mark documents with the word confidential um, and make sure that they are kept confidential. They are not uh, um, shared with all employees, only with the relevant employees, that they are not just thrown um, in the company offices, but they are kept in locked systems or that you have enough uh, security to protect it and so on. There was an article in Globes recently 
about the quote-unquote Z generation, which is now just entering the workforce. These are, you know, the youngest uh, people somewhere uh, just north of 20 years old and what have you. Have you encountered that generation yet in the workplace? I mean, the real young, probably with high skills in technology or computers? Well, actually not yet. Um, I think part of it is because in our firm, the youngest employees are the interns, Mm -hmm. and they come to us after four years at the university. So they have to be over 20, 24 in most cases, so not yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still learning how to manage the white generation. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I'm guessing it will be uh, challenging dealing with the, the Z generation, um, but it will also be interesting. I'm guessing that they will contribute to the developing gig economy, more uh, outspoken, more demanding. But it will change the workplace for good, I believe. Actually, one of the interesting things about the Z generation is that they said they actually tend to be more conservative. I think they probably want to do things different than the millennials, and and they're more more worried about job security, and uh, the pendulum may, may swing back a little. My last question is, uh, I recently heard a podcast uh, that a colleague of mine uh, from China was involved in, and she was telling a story about actually a company in Hong Kong who expanded into China, set up an office, things didn't work out, then fired all the employees, but they did it in a way that they would have had that company been in Hong Kong. The laws in China were very different, and they ended up having to pay huge uh, penalties and a lot of -of out-of-pocket money. Do you, do you come across this often in uh, you know international companies that set up in Israel, let's say particularly uh, subsidiaries or branches of the U.S. that have well-established HR policies and, and they have trouble adjusting to the Israeli scene? Yes, of course. I think there are very big uh, cultural gaps. Um, because I represent mostly large companies and uh, l- large groups, it's it's easier because they are aware of the fact that they have to learn the rules that apply in every new country that they get into. Um, so they have the, the knowledge to contact us and to make sure that the policies and their agreement are in line with Israeli law. Uh, it is challenging in many cases to explain the countries why you cannot terminate terminate certain employees, why pregnant employees protected, why employees go on military reserve duties and cannot be terminated, why you have to go through a hearing process before you terminate, um, and so on. It's very interesting, and most companies already know to ask the questions and to make sure that they align with local law. Okay, just finish with, uh, you're working for one of the biggest law firms in Israel in an area that I'm sure there's uh, there's something happening every day, if not every hour with your clients. What do you, what do, you do for fun? I like to read books, mostly Israeli uh, writers, um, and I swim at the university, Tel Aviv University pool. Okay, so swimming and reading are good uh, contrast to uh, probably appearing in labor court and and reading employment contracts. Yeah, (laughs) it's a good balance. I thank you very much. If people want to know more about uh, what you do or to actually be in contact with you because they have a specific problem, how can they be in touch with you? www.arnon.co.il Well, I thank you very much. And uh, this has really been very informative. And I think uh, 
helpful to a lot of my listeners. So I, th- I thank you for your time, and we look forward to hearing from you. Great. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.pstein.com or look for Philip Stein & Associates on Facebook and LinkedIn. 